Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me John Sheridan. John has had a really interesting career on the entrepreneurial side of things that we're going to go into a little bit about. But John, first of all, Welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Hey, Tom, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. John, in researching you a little bit uh, for this podcast, it seemed to me that there were uh, a couple of themes in your entrepreneurial career. One is exactly that, you're an entrepreneur, but two, you're incredibly passionate about recycling lives and serving up second chances. So I just wanted to ask you, what kind of gives you that passion for those topics? Well, that started back when I was a real estate executive and after the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles, Father Greg Boyle and myself co-founded what was then first Homeboy Tortillas, which was an outreach program of his Proyecto Pastoral in the Dolores Mission in East L.A., which was then the poorest mission in East L.A., and basically... Father Greg had a tagline, nothing stops a bullet faster than the job. So we had them making tortillas in our Grand Central Market in downtown L.A., gave these young gang-impacted youth jobs, and it became literally a phenomenon in post-riot Los Angeles, where eventually thousands of young kids were employed in all different industries. And these kids were used to tell me to change their lives instead of them being part of generation of marginalized people, people that were looked down upon, people that were disenfranchised from their families and accepted by gangs. They just wanted to have a job like all of us. And I started realizing as I evolved my career, a couple of things after that, the, the mark was left on me was indelible. And I only wanted to do businesses that made the world a better place, that made an impact after co-founding homeboy industries and tortillas. So it always had to have a bottom line way beyond just profit. Second of all, I wanted to take it way beyond gang-impacted youth. So all the companies that I'm involved with, I always look for people that are part of what has been historically marginalized parts of society. So for instance, at the different Entities that I'm involved with, including ERI, we have hired people from addiction centers that have gotten out of incarceration situations, people who were homeless before, people who have been battered wives out of battered wives facilities. So people that have been left behind for whatever reason, we've given second chance. So to me, It's very important, and our core mission is recycling electronics, yes, at ERI, but recycling lives is what we really do and giving people a second chance and sometimes a third chance, and in part, sometimes it's their last chance, and that's how it really works. Well, John, I would like to now turn the focus to ERI because you're in a business that, frankly, I was not as aware of as perhaps I should have been, and it struck me that in addition to the work around recycling lives, 
that you have ongoing. You're doing another type of recycling that's becoming certainly more important in today's technological-based world, but I want to actually explore it with you in the time of corona health crisis, but what's the business of ERI? We recycle people's old or discarded electronics. So ERI was born in 2002. It was the dark little secret of the technological revolution. No one, none of the founders of the technological revolution or the founders that are the iconic people that we know, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos, no one, no one fueled the technological revolution and ever thought about the other side. Samsung didn't, LG didn't, Panasonic didn't. They just built great technology that made our lives more connected, more fun, more interesting. Information went faster than ever before, but no one really thought about what happens to our old laptops, our old iPhones, our old copier machines, any electronics that we could think of when they came to their end of life. And what turned out to be true was that this stuff was getting dumped in landfills, old television sets around the world. This is just not a problem that was systemic to California, to the United States. It became the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world. And by the way, it still is. 18 years after we created this company, it still is the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world. And when you throw it into a landfill and the landfill gets rained on, typically a landfill then could leach into the environment and the arsenic, the lead, the beryllium, the mercury that's contained in old electronics leaches into our ecosystem very bad for our, for the people, for the plants, for animals, for our water supply. Everything gets contaminated. And there's no reason, Tom, to throw this stuff into landfills because you could keep it above ground, you could recycle them responsibly, and everything can go for beneficial reuse. The plastics, the glass, and the metals all could go for beneficial reuse. You could be zero waste. John, what is the sort of worldwide scope of this problem? This is not just a first world problem, is it? No, no. This is everywhere. Everywhere there's people, there's electronics now. So the bottom line is, this is the fastest growing solid waste stream in the entire world. And therefore, this solution needs to be done everywhere, whether it's India, Vietnam, China, Russia, or London, or Berlin, including Los Angeles and New York. This problem is worldwide. John, I do a lot of work in the ESG space, and I talk to a lot of people in that space. It strikes me that what services you're offering are exactly what a company needs to have a part of on their ESG portfolio. Is that a message that you find resonates with uh, the greater commercial market for yourself? Yeah, it's funny. When we started this business, Al Gore had not won an Academy Award for Inconvenient Truth or a Nobel Peace Prize, nor was there even an iPad or an iPhone yet. So it was beginnings of times for the sustainability revolution to come to America. It was already going very well in landlocked countries, countries that had limited space, such as Japan or South Korea or Germany or the UK. Sustainability was part of their culture and DNA. Not in America, not in the U.S. We're a very big country, lots of land, and people are like, oh, use it, you throw it away. You know, conspicuous consumption was sort of the norm. And there was no chief sustainability officers in any companies. Al Gore helped 
Ignite the Revolution, 2005 and six. And now companies have come a long way, both in their environmental health and safety practices, in terms of their sustainability practices. Yes, but that only got us a certain part of the way. Culturally, companies are like people from a DNA and cultural perspective. Some really are into the environment and some don't see it as a priority like people like you and I do, Tom. So what happened is as we built our brand across America, eventually that started to wane a little bit. People looked at the expense of doing it and said, eh, I don't think this is really worth our time. I don't think our clients are going to punish us. And some brands really walked away from this as we went. And that was a little disappointing. A lot of people slammed their doors on me for years. And then there was a change. There was a change. What happened was, as the sustainability revolution was sort of hitting a wall, politically, from a media perspective, and also a little bit from a corporate adherence perspective, another major trend took off. And that was the trend of privacy and cybersecurity. So you had a little company like Palantir born in Silicon Valley, and then you had LifeLock born sometime in 2007 or so in Arizona. And the word cybersecurity, which wasn't even part of our vernacular, when I started ERI with my co-founding partners, became big. And we started watching that trend rise, and we started messaging that with sustainability. And that became a one-two punch that started resonating in corporate America, political America, and with the citizens of America and actually around the world in terms of let's do the right thing and keep our old electronics out of landfills. And that's good for all of us. But also, it also protects you, Mr. or Mrs. Citizen, and it also protects Mr. or Mrs. Corporation or Mr. and Mrs. Government. So it's good for business, and it's good for our privacy, and it's actually great for the environment. John, I think most compliance practitioners would certainly have an understanding of inputs to their company, whether that be procurement through the supply chain, whether it be a sales agent helping a third-party sales agent to helping to sell a product or service. They may not be as cognizant about e-waste and outgo from their company. How do you help a company begin to assess their e-waste recycling risks and help them understand the scope of their own problem? It's a great question. And again, bifurcates. First, you got to look at the environmental health and safety risks just to the environment at large, to just dumping this stuff and going up against the laws across America. There's about 25 states have said, don't dump this. Don't put this in landfills anymore. Some states you're still allowed to, but most corporate citizens now have adopted a plan that, wait a second, let's go to the highest standard that exists. If California or Massachusetts or New York are the highest standard now in how to treat e-waste, let's go to that standard and let's act accordingly everywhere we do business in the United States. So that education is part of it. Educating the people who are chief sustainability officers or EHS specialists in charge of compliance at any organization is part of it and helping them assess what constitutes electronics that are banned from landfills. That's half of the battle. The other half is also now making an assessment that comes to data. 
data containing devices. So what used to be just about the laws that existed, such as Starbucks or HIPAA for healthcare agencies, now has gotten very, very complex because in May 2018, GDPR was born and launched in Europe, in the EU, and GDPR has come in force to America. So you have six or seven different federal bills floating around, 14 states that have already put in for some sort of statewide GDPR legislation, and many states are already passing GDPR-type laws. So there's going to be GDPR laws that are coming to every state in America over the course of the next 18 months or so. And then you also have federal legislation that's also going to get tougher and tougher and more restrictive with when it comes to privacy. So working with CISOs, working with environmental health and safety managers or chief sustainability officers have now become the norm for a company like ERI in educating government entities, corporate entities, privately and publicly held in every industry, insurance, in financial, in healthcare. I'm just giving three of the biggest to do the right thing, both for the environment, but also to protect their own data and their own assets and the assets of their constituents as well. John, we mentioned the coronavirus health crisis at the top of this podcast. How does the work of ERI, how has it become more important now in the age of coronavirus? Funny. It's a great question, Tom. And the truth is the bad actors, whether they're nation states or whether they're just a hacker looking to extort or ransom money out of a company or a government, they take advantage of crises like this. And they seize these crises as opportunities to prey upon governments, both large and small, corporations, both large and small, and us as just citizens, because everyone's off their game when we're under siege, both extra stress, we're out of our rituals. And they take advantage of those, whether it's a malware attack, a ransomware attack, whether it's insiders doing different things that they not necessarily would have done because people aren't paying attention as much because they're distracted with the crisis at hand. And this is the time for extra vigilance with regards to how you treat your old hardware that contains data because the bad guys want to get it. If they get your old hardware, they can pull your hard drives or other data-containing materials, reverse engineer the information, and have a heyday with regards to monetizing any data that's contained in old hardware, which old hardware is just a, another fancy way of saying old electronics. So our core business has become, we've evolved into the largest hardware data destruction business in the world. Think about Shredit or Iron Mountain, what they do for shredding paper and data that's on paper. That's what we do for hardware. And this is the time to be more vigilant than ever when we're all off our proverbial game or our rituals and the bad guys are looking for just little cracks in the door. John, unfortunately, we're nearing the end of our time, but I was wondering if listeners wanted more information about ERI. Where could they go? Thank you for that. They could just go to www.eridirect.com, which is our website. John, we're going to have a special giveaway for any listeners. We're going to give a 
code in the show notes that they'll email. And I was wondering if you can describe what that giveaway is. Yeah, it's a book by one of my partners and myself. We own a company called The Marketing Masters. And it's 101 Tips from the Marketing Masters, written by Brendan Egan, who's my partner, and John Shigarian, that's me. And it's been selling very well on Amazon. And for your first 25 listeners that want to use the code, we'll give them a Kindle well, version. John, this has book. been a fascinating exploration of a topic that I think is not only significant now, but it's going to actually become much more important going forward. I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Tom, it's an honor. And thank you again for having me today. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.